2: Welcome to Nerdist Podcast number 799. This episode's <laughs> Patrick Stewart. We're going to talk about that in a second. But uh, Katie's got some Nerdist Community corkboard business.
3: Yeah. So Chris Mancini, who is from Comedy I'm Film, Film Nerds. Nerds, and he is awesome. He has a Kickstarter out for um, a new graphic novel that he is trying to write. It's called Long Ago and Far Away. And it sounds really cool. It sounds like something that is completely up the alley of all of our listeners and if you know chris he's great so you can find it on kickstarter.com and searching long ago and far away and also, uh, we have a new podcast, it, part of Nerdist Sports. It's called Puck Soup. It's with Greg Wasinski and Dave Lozo, and it's all NHL based. But they'll also be talking to people about just other sports and, and pop culture and whatnot. So
2: it's not about the the, the cast member from Real World San Francisco uh, who wrote nice the nice
3: puck <laughs> reference. Yeah. <laughs> oh man, I we thought, are all in a similar age I group. I thought he was hot for some <laughs> reason. Why did I think that? Because he was a bad boy. Was he hot? Yeah. Maybe he was hot. I'm gonna go bad back boy. and look at pictures. Spiky hair. Man, if you want to feel real old, reference the real world to young open micers. Oh my
2: God.
3: (laughs) Because you get just a blank look at this point. I know. I know.
2: Mm -hmm. Oh, believe me. It
3: makes me real upset.
2: Yeah, there are things that make me feel like uh, I am fucking k-earth 101 living in a in a one
3: direction universe like. <laughs> it's, it's
2: just not a... you
3: mean the fact that they play depeche mode and other bands you like on k-earth 101 they play fucking nirvana on k-earth 101 20 years? Oh, yeah. it's a days.
2: horrifying Nirvana's thing all over the old they became a classic now. rock and band they writers. are classic rock because because i mean if you think about it the in the 80s in the in, the, in the 1986 if they played music from 1961 that would have been like, that would have felt like generations ago. Yeah, so that that's all it is. Anyway, uh, time is a forward-moving uh, train, and we can never stop it. And I was all... promised it was a flat circle,
3: but we just keep moving forward. No, Kyle, the Earth is flat. <laughs> oh, you're one of those now. <laughs> <laughs> I see how it is. Not flat-y. really.
2: I'm just making fun <laughs> What do you got there?
3: Uh, okay, I got uh, uh, Tishka Valadina uh, made a website called Behind the Co- uh, Cartoons or Beyond the Cartoons uh, dot com. And it is all about looking at the people who make cartoons. Sitting in this room, Chris, you seem to be a bit of an animation buff, what with your a Ren and Stimpy and original Warner Brothers art on the wall here. Yeah, and I have some. I also have some original John Kay drawings and some original... Yeah, This website is real cool and ate up part of my afternoon yesterday when I was supposed to be working because it's full of amazing interviews with, with not just voice actors but animators, like timing people, like all the people who go into making cartoons done. Like, and I, I'm so excited interviews. about this. Did I tell you I, I think I told you this. I stood in line at WonderCon a few years ago. To
2: get uh, to get Ralph Bakshi to sign yeah. an original, and I'm wizard, jealous. So. You,
3: I feel like you know what a crazy Ralph Bakshi fan I is, and anytime you can bring this up, you throw it at me because I'm so jealous.
2: I do. I like to throw this it right at your face. Fucking
3: amazing.
2: Yeah, I mean, if, if if you guys are animation buffs, you should watch the Mighty Mouse that Bakshi did, oh, where yeah. John K. was one of the directors.
3: This is actually crossing over as part of the drinking game on my podcast, This Is Rad, where it's take a drink every time Kyle references Ralph Bakshi or the new adventures <laughs> of Mighty Mouse. <laughs>
2: <laughs> can I tell you something? So I've been playing Animal Crossing, and you can you can create a mule character. Basically, when you start getting too much stuff, you can create a second character to start holding all of your oh, stuff. Oh, sweet. And so I created this uh, little girl with spiky hair, and I
3: named her Bakshi. Ah, oh, nice. Mm, yep. Very cool. So uh, is it... Yeah. Uh, I mean, I, I think named it's my cool. <laughs> so, I mean, that's a... Katie clutched her <laughs> chest. Katie <laughs> is going to beat you up and take your lunch money, but so. I'm going to push up my glasses and say, I think that's cool. This episode is Patrick Stewart, and uh, he just couldn't be a better human he's
2: being. He's the best man. He's, he, we, this was a, a wonderful chat, which we're going to get into in a second, but I want to tell you uh, uh, this is the third time he's been on, too. This uh, this movie is called uh, Green Room that he's promoting. It sure is. Which uh, opens uh, coastally on the 15th 15. of April, and it opens nationwide on the
3: 29th. Guys go see it. It's a super fucked up movie. It is Kyle Clark's number one movie of the year thus far. It's incredible. It's brutal. It there's nothing else like it that exists. It's great. So uh it's it's super intense. And it's essential.
2: well, we talk about it in the podcast, yeah. but it's a, a band plays gig that doesn't go well. Things go sideways and shit goes down God, in, a fuck up, in a super fucked way. It's great. It's so tense.
3: It's so fucking good.
2: Yeah, yeah. So highly recommend it. It's called Green Room. Uh, Blunt Talk is is Patrick's show that he has I'm right stars. now. And he tells us a lot about other stuff that he's working on the podcast. So I'm going to shut up now so Katie can start this. Katie, roll the thing for episode number 799 of the Nerdist Podcast, Sir Patrick Stewart
0: now entering Nerdist.com
1: We are, yes. It's a very full day. I'm, I'm in the middle of shooting the last couple of episodes of my second season of my series. So they very generously somehow managed to... Hi. Hey, how's it going? Good. Welcome well, back. Thank you. We're happy to be here. It's good to see you. Boy, this, is, this
2: is our new podcast room. Yes? It's well, brand new. I mean, like, brand new. You're like the you mean, second person.
1: launching it? Oh, I'm the... S- oh, yeah. not the first person. No, no, no. You like, might I, have
2: lied and said I was the first person. I, I could have done that. A guy from Game of Thrones beat you yesterday, but... Uh,
1: Really? But fuck him, you're here, Aye. and let's just say that Aye. officially you're f- let <laughs> Let's say officially you're first. Game of Thrones doesn't count. It doesn't count. It doesn't no. count. It's too successful. It's far too it's successful. It's only the most successful it's- show in the world. I mean, it's right. one of them. It's one of them. I'm told it is. Yeah. Eh, I mean
2: bigger than Walking Dead? Yeah. Oh yeah, uh, Game of Thrones. Yeah. <laughs> I used to like it till just now.
0: There was kind of a Game of Thrones. Top Gear might be the only show bigger than it internationally. Yeah. Top Gear, really? Yeah, Top Gear is like eight hundred million people watch that show. What do you watch? What do you watch?
1: Very little. Really? Yes, yes. My, <clears throat> I watch a lot of sport. Um, My day was ruined yesterday after a brilliant day. We were filming out at Malibu on the beach, then up in the mountains, and I got to wear Arab uniform and drag and got to wear wetsuits and all all this, all in the space of one day. But my plan was a long drive home, and then I would sit down with a glass of wine or two. (laughs)
0: Um, And I
1: had a soccer match recorded that had played earlier in the day in the UK, a very important soccer match. What happened? No service. No <laughs> fucking service.
0: Oh, no. Uh,
1: brutal. I tried everything I knew, and it's, it's astonishing. I have more IT disasters in Los Angeles than anywhere else. I mean, a lot of the time, my cell phone doesn't work, or there's no service. Our, our Wi-Fi in the house doesn't work, or the studio. and You know, this is the heartland of the entertainment business they ought to get their act together are you bit. telling are you you're knighted and you're telling me that
2: the crown doesn't provide some sort of direct royal access to soccer matches
1: and cricket games well they probably do provide a service but it's more likely to be Horse racing okay. or,
0: <laughs> or, <laughs>
1: uh, Fox or dog shows. <laughs> it's, or, <laughs> it's just dressage. Or gardening. <laughs> or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's it's just just An evening of dressage <laughs> would be not my, not my ideal way of spending And then you turn to, on,
0: oh, it's Corgis again. We're going to watch the Corgis.
1: But you would think, wouldn't you? I mean, I did expect that when the knighthood came along that there would
0: be bonuses, perks. you think they'd tap you no. on the shoulder and say, guess what? Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. <laughs> Did
2: anything you, come with it?
0: Um, a plaque?
1: Oh, a, a beautiful, a beautiful ribbon with a yeah. medal on it. Yes, yeah.
2: Um, but not like you can beat anyone up um, in public and it's okay kind of a thing? No,
1: oh. no, nothing. despite the fact that there is a sword involved in the process. <laughs> and There's it's still to, to, de- to the very day. I don't know where that sword came from. I was... Um, there were two of us being knighted on that day and we were the first up. They do it in order of precedence. There were a hundred awards being given that day and Her Majesty was on her feet for over an hour, 86 years old, wow. spoke to every single person. A brief conversation, you know. I'm not allowed to tell you because you do not repeat of royal course, conversations. Right. Do you like off- corgis? <laughs> uh, They're I'm off see. the record. <laughs> um, uh, but I, and I didn't see the, my, the man before me uh, going through the process. So I, we had had a rehearsal earlier. You are actually rehearsed to say exactly what you do, which involved walking backwards some point. okay, um, And uh, there, there was Her Majesty. I, I was now kneeling down on a, on a very, very um, a sensible piece of furniture. It's a stool, <laughs> but it has a handrail on of the course. side very so sensible. that you can lever yourself up <laughs> and down. If you're very old, as I am, then that's a useful addition. And um, the she was standing in front of me and smiling sweetly and then all of a sudden she had this damned sword in her hand and i don't I don't know where he came from <laughs> but because I had a closer view of what was going on than anyone else I did see that in the process because she touches the right shoulder first that she here was the sword in her hand I'm sorry listeners you can't see what I'm doing but my palm is turned down yes she touched one shoulder with that then as it Sword went over my head. She turned her wrist so that the other side touched the other shoulder. An interesting but entirely boring subject to talk about. <laughs> no, it's, fa- it's fascinating. Cause, a minute,
0: I like to think that. Well, the- I think all the listeners that have been knighted have tuned out. But yeah. everyone else. <laughs>
2: Finally, something for me. <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah, well, that would be
1: Sir Ben Kingsley, Sir Ian McKellen. because <laughs> they were all listening. Well, we've had them <laughs> on and the now, show. You, of course you have, yeah, yeah. Did they talk about their knighthoods? Yes, Ian McKellen said the queen, that the queen
2: said to him, uh, Are you a goer? Oh, wink, wink, nudge, nudge.
3: <laughs> she did not.
1: She did not. Ian is such a fantasist.
3: <clears throat>
1: I made that
2: up. He didn't say that at all. I uh, I noticed by the parasol that you just posted on
1: your Twitter account yesterday or the day before, you are you're deep in season two of Blunt Talk. Almost concluded. We have um, – I have five more shooting days and we are done with season two. It's oh un- unbelievable how fast that it has gone. And um, if I were to tell you that yesterday when we were shooting, as I think I just mentioned, I wore five radically different costumes at different times during the day, you will – appreciate that we were having some fun mm. that's great it's nice that you have a
2: job that's really fun that's but you know just a little takes a little bit of time and then you're done
1: oh well a little bit of time i'm sorry Did, yeah, like that a what week what
2: does it take to shoot a season like a week
1: to shoot a season I'm uh are 12 to 14 weeks we do um and uh our ep- episodes are only half an hour long so we shoot every 14 days we shoot two episodes
2: yeah I mean, were you, m- m- were you mentally p- prepared to play Walter for this long? I mean, when you first started, it just seems weird. When you start a show and you think, well, I don't know if this is going to go or not. And then all of a sudden you find yourself two or three seasons
1: deep. Hmm. Now you're uh, that guy. Uh, I, yeah, that's true. Um, well, we hoped that it would be like that. And we've now done two seasons. I think, in a way, I've been preparing all my life to play Walter Blunt, <laughs> um, n- not in lifestyle, yeah, Andrew, because his is so very modest and boring compared <laughs> to course. mine. Yes, um, but uh, I started. This is not something that is generally well known, but my very first job on leaving school was working on a newspaper. I was a, a cub reporter, really, on my you, local paper. What were you covering? Births, deaths, marriages, essentially. Um, they wouldn't let me. If, if anything important happened, uh, we each had our little district, a little, and which included the where I lived, my home, and. Uh, uh, I got to do all the boring stuff. But if anything exciting happened there, one of the senior reporters would immediately swoop into my territory and take over. And and um, I was dishonest, too. I made things up. And, what? Uh, yeah. You made up death <laughs>
2: announcements?
1: <laughs> no, but I'll tell you about death. I, I mean, uh, it's it was the society that I grew up in, which was a working-class, blue-collar society. Um, uh, people who had lived generations in this same little part of the north of England. And um, it was customary when there was a death in a family that somebody called to pay their respects, or in my case, a journalist who showed up to ask a few delicate questions about the deceased that the wife or husband or parent or whoever would say to me, and I will attempt to do the accent of my youth, they'd say... E, would you like to have a look at him, love?
0: <laughs> he,
1: <laughs> he looks real grand.
3: <laughs> and, and so, Oh, very well. Yes.
1: Oh, he does. How, yes, oh. how lovely. Well, there was one day when I saw three corpses in a morning, and I went back to uh, the, the the newspaper office and the reporters' room, and uh, the sub-editor said to me, "What's wrong, Patrick? You seem a bit down." And I said, "Damn it, yes." You know, I, this job—it's getting me down. I, I, I actually had to stand over three coffins. He said, "Oh, you don't have to do that. You know, <laughs> you're not expected." I said, "But they ask." Would you? And he said, "No. Here's what you say." And we all say the same thing: um, "I've recently had a death in my own family, and I think it might be a little upsetting if I were to see another. Would you mind if I didn't?" So. <laughs> After that, that's what I did. That's it. No more corpses.
2: Hopefully all those people didn't talk and (laughs) discover that a person died in your family every week for like two years. (laughs) That's
1: Stuart, boy. He's real suspicious. (laughs) There's a lot of deaths in his family. (laughs) The lying part was another thing, and it was because I had. by the time I was 15, I was heavily involved with amateur theatricals. The part of England I come from, it was not thought- um, grotesque or unusual or fancy or show-off to be a performer. Mm-hmm. Everybody sang, recited, danced, were in plays, in bands, in choirs. I was in a choir as well as, as as doing amateur acting. Nobody thought that you were different or weird or a show-off. And I was working with five different amateur companies at the same time so rehearsals were complicated because we can only rehearse in the evening when you're an amateur group and journalists work in the evening they have to attend council meetings and so forth all all kinds of things come up so when that happened and it clashed with a rehearsal I would first of all try to get somebody to cover for me to do the job instead of me Then I would arrange to have somebody who was there make notes for me, Mm -hmm. or I would have somebody on the end of the telephone I could talk to afterwards, or I made it up. (laughs) 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 Well, that didn't go on for too long because I got found out. They did, of course. And I got found out in the following way. Um, One night there was a, a... It was a little – it was a small town, just a population of 11,000. But we had a council, a town council, and I was to attend one of the meetings of the town council, but I had a rehearsal, so I didn't go. And I got somebody else to cover for me. And as it happened, there was the biggest fire broke out in the history of my town in a building almost next door to the council offices where the meeting was happening. This broke, and immediately the uh, e- editor for the day said, "Oh well, we don't have to worry. We're Patrick is right there, right on the spot.
3: He'll be covering it. All right, we're fine."
1: Not true. I was elsewhere, and uh, when I was asked, "So what about the fire?" Uh, fire? What? What fire? And I was found out, and I was hauled in front of the the editor, owner, editor of the newspaper. And given an option, which was either you give up this stupid amateur theatricals Mm -hmm. and you become what you were employed to be, a full-time journalist, or you better get off this newspaper. And I went upstairs to the reporter's room and packed up my typewriter, even though my best friend on the paper was saying, don't do this, don't do this. No, he he didn't really mean it. No, no, you just don't go. You'll never get another job. I I had no education. I went to a – a school that was not academic or scholarly. I was very lucky to get the job. And he was right. I would never get another job like that. But um, <laughs> something had happened to me in his office. And I went home and my, my mother saying, you're back early. And I said, yes, um, I, I've, I've left. I've, I've given up the job. And she said, oh, love, what are you going to do? And I said, I'm going to be an actor. And was she cool with that? Totally cool, yes.
0: That's fantastic. Both
1: my parents were. They were amazing. What I didn't know at the time, and it was several years, f- perhaps five years later, that I found out that I was not the first actor in my family, that my father's father had been an actor, as well as being the black sheep of the family, which is why I didn't know. He was never talked about. He had deserted his wife, my father's mother, and four children and gone off to be an actor somewhere. And it's a little more intense again. than
2: leaving a newspaper. <laughs> Much more, much more intense. <laughs> much more intense.
1: Um, did and, you know uh, him? You didn't know him at all. No, it's possible because he um, he escaped to the United States, as many did, and others who didn't want to come to the United States came as well. <laughs> but William Stewart came here. We know that for certain. And doing the calculations, it is very probable that William Stewart was living and working in the United States the first time I came here. My grandfather. But I never met him. Of course, I would have loved to have done. I'll tell you a little story about him. Please. All this came out when I was going on a long overseas tour, a 15-month tour with the old Vic, and the company led by Vivian Lee, beautiful and brilliant actress. And um, my grandmother was very old, so I made a a, a serious uh, uh, journey to spend some time with her because I thought I might not see her again. And that was when I learned all this about my grandfather, about her ex-husband. And... um, One of the things that happened, she said, shall I tell you about the last time we we ever heard from him? I said, yes, please. Well, he was appearing on stage at a theatre at the Elephant and Castle in South London, a theatre that was bombed during the war and doesn't exist anymore. And... um, uh, a complaint had been made to the police that th- her family had been deserted. This was an offense in those days, oh. and uh, because they he had to pay maintenance and he was paying no maintenance. so they found him and they um, They went to the stage door and they they found this guy in the wings waiting to make an entrance <laughs> in a play that he was in and two policemen, and he said to them, look, I, of course, I'll come with you. Yeah, this is, this is awful. This is terrible, but just let me finish the, this one scene I've got in the play, and then we can go. Otherwise, you know, the whole evening will be ruined for the audience. So they agreed to it. He went on, he played the scene, and he exited the other side. <laughs> oh, <geez. laughs> and, and was never seen again. <laughs> oh, <ouch>. <laughs> <laughs> Listeners, used
2: to the new dynamics he, of the room. he
0: hit his head on the wall.
2: I lean back. I'm not used to having a wall right that
0: here. Was, uh, something we're gonna have to look out for in the future. <laughs> yeah, it is. Well, not you.
2: You guys are on the fine yeah, side of it. That's an incre- That is incredible. And just di- like that,
1: didn't come back to get paid or anything nothing. or nothing left. I mean, he knew that the you know the, uh, the the chips were down. He was in trouble, and he came to the United States. And but what he did here, we don't know. I know that his. One of his sons also came to the United States and was certainly living in Detroit the first time I came here. In fact, I I worked in Detroit in 1969, and it's very possible my my uncle uh, was also called William was living in Detroit at the same so time. So there's
2: a whole other line of Stuarts maybe that
1: they had no children my uncle never had children he had his, he had a business that he all this found out when i did a television show in england called who do you think you are wonderful show and um i found this out then that there was a there was a, uh, an american he became a citizen um which i have not still done. no no after all these years and years and years and the most frustrating part for me i, I I have real, I could become a dual citizen, sure there, there's no problem about that. I could retain my British passport, but I do have a very strong feeling about being british of course and and I feel that if I had a secondary citizenship, not as though I was british born to you know while i was my parents were in America or anything like that, yeah. I chose to take on a dual citizenship so i I've never done it. I am a resident alien welcome that usually gets a laugh, but this time it didn't, because obviously you don't know what I'm referring to. I was but,
2: about to make like a Rigel 7 joke or something. Uh, okay, so that,
1: that, would, that would have been acceptable. <laughs> um,
2: Matt, Matt can tell you everything on the deck of the NCC-1701D. Everything he can tell you. Which deck? He can tell you every deck. God, was that the number
1: of, of my ship?
0: Was that the number of your ship? Yeah. D. Yeah, you lost it uh, in, in 7. Really? Seven, seven. Well,
1: you may be interested to hear yeah. that I am selling my Script Archive. I'm. It's being auctioned uh, this summer.
0: Frakes just did that.
1: Frakes just did it, yeah. I'm, I, the I,
0: sound I, you just heard, was Matt popping a boner? No, uh, it was me thinking, okay, if I, I could pay for the IVF for my wife or...
2: <laughs>
0: scripts.
3: <laughs> Honey, <laughs>
2: these scripts real, will be like our baby.
0: It's a real yeah. toss-up. They'll
2: tell better stories. Can I just... How are you just... doing... How are you selling this archive and what's what are the details of that?
1: Well, um... There will be, I think, a press release of some kind, Um, so I I, I shouldn't say too much, but... No, let it um, be now. There there were 178 episodes of Star Trek, The Next Generation. He's he's right. um, (laughs) But 178 scripts doesn't begin to touch it, because there were many drafts of each script, and largely I have the drafts as well. And I have all the pages, you know, the different colored pages that come out during production. And I save the call sheets as well. Oh, my God. So each episode is a contained little history of that episode, the the drafts, the rewrites, the call sheets and so forth. Um, And uh, my only um, question was, you know, should I sell this script by script one at a time? Let people choose what script they'd like to own. Or, as I believe some of my colleagues have done, page by page. Um, Mm -hmm. But I have been advised, no, there are serious collectors out there who would want the whole thing.
2: What episode would you you want, Yeah, what
1: episode would you want? Maybe I've got a duplicate that I could... uh, Oh, my God. I
2: I will buy it for you. (laughs) I will buy
0: it for you. I think... See now, you got to think of who's naked it now. So if got, if you're
1: thinking naked now, aren't you? <laughs>
0: <laughs> no one is thinking that. Yeah. No one is thinking naked now. Uh, terrible Okay, for I'll, I'll, I'll help you out. Uh, what about a family? Inner? Would be
1: great. Family, yeah. Family which would be I had fantastic. in my hands this morning. The whole no. pile of family wow. scripts. Um, uh, inner light. Timescape. Inner light. Oh, God. oh
0: inner everyone light. says oh. Good. Inner light. So good. So good. They got a Peabody for that. Well.
1: Um, watch this space because I think it's in June, the Ultron. I will watch it. Oh What's guess.
0: the one where
2: Beverly Crusher hooks up with a ghost on that? Uh, oh, I thought you were oh, going to say. S- that's Sub Rosa. I thought Sub Rosa.
1: Sub Rosa. No one wants Sub Rosa. What was the one you were going to say? I don't seven. know what it was, what was you... I thought you were going to say when Beverly Crusher ho- hooks up with a goat. <laughs> I thought you were
2: going to say. <laughs> yeah, what no, 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 more ridiculous. Whoa. It's a ghost. It's a ghost. <laughs> <laughs> the ghost alien. There's a goat. There's a goat planet. You guys go down. And there's yeah. a goat, there's the a planet goat was
0: planet. weird. They go to too because the planet was like an Irish colony.
1: Oh yes, I remember those. <laughs>
0: I do indeed remember them very well.
1: <laughs> there was a wonderful English actor, Barry. Barry. Uh, Ah, oh, may he rest in peace because he's gone. And he played the leader of this alien race, but they all spoke like tinkers. Oh God, <laughs> <He's really laughs> with bottles for of Guinness in their pockets. <laughs> it may not have been Star Trek: the Next Generation's <laughs> greatest. <moment>. (Laughter) uh... I mean, the the the
2: news of this auction is is epic. I think. I, I'm, Excuse me, I'm so sorry. Barry Ingham.
1: Barry, Barry Ingham Bang Aaron was the name of the actor. May he rest in peace. That is fa- That is fantastic. Timescape. Sorry, I interrupted. That's the one you. I would no, want. It, it. Could be you yeah, want Timescape. Timescape. I would want. Yeah, I saw that yesterday.
2: If you have the ti- if you if you have <laughs> the Timescape yesterday? collection I I'd, I'd buy it for Matt as a present mm. because he and his uh his wife are trying to conceive a child through science at the moment. So mm-hmm. as a celebration of new life we I wanna, I would I would get you the Timescape. We want to make a little
0: Wesley, you know. We're just like
2: I call, I texted Wesley, I texted Will <laughs> Wesley, to see if he Wesley. would it, it, he was working today. And he said oh. he said he was very sorry he couldn't be here, but I wanted to have oh, him here. I wanted to have him here that, and sit in.
1: That would have been lovely. The last time I tried to sing a he? bit. Very
0: much so. Yeah. He has a beard
1: now. But I do remember that's the last time you... that's not necessarily a sign of maturity.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Why well, I, I see here, come... <laughs> as you can see here.
2: But I think I think the last time you were here, I, the same thing happened. He was out of town, and I go, Oh, I tried to get Will Wheaton to come on the podcast near to work, and you said something like, Well, fuck him. <laughs> <like>
0: that.
1: <laughs> that sounds about right. <laughs> Oh
2: my god. That's so funny. You also said one of my favorite things ever, which we didn't which didn't make the podcast. Because the mic didn't pick it up. But I ha- we took a picture where I had this dumb derby and a mustache. And I told you that when Ian McKellen was on, I was going to do this thing where I took a picture with him with that. And then when he showed up, I was like, he's a little more serious than I expected. So I'm not going to do this. And I showed it to you and uh, when I put the mustache on you go you look like fucking Hitler (laughs) 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 and the microphone didn't pick it up but it was was one of my favorite things it was Uh. one of my
1: favorite jokes well, you remember it, and that makes me all warm and fuzzy inside. <laughs> I, I, I'm glad. I, for
2: a
0: second, I thought you were going to go, you do look like fucking Hitler. <laughs> no, I don't. <laughs> what uh, What else you got in the archives you might be selling besides scripts? Do you have anything else?
1: Yeah, there are there are going to be some other uh, interesting and, uh, as they say in the art world, important pieces. Uh,
0: I almost hear the computer that you had on your desk in Insurrection was up on eBay for a little while, and I almost yeah. bought it. Really? I Someone got it? it? Yeah, I couldn't bring myself to fork it, it over. It the- wasn't a real computer. No, of course you know. not. <laughs> <clears throat> of course not. <laughs> uh, I mean, I
1: have been asked, you wouldn't believe how many, and what was it like traveling in the enterprise? And I'd say, actually... What was involved was that you walked onto stage nine at Paramount Pictures. That's all that <laughs> happened. That thing never went anywhere at all. It was just all make-believe. Just sets. Yeah. But then on the other hand, you know, when you've had the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff say, Captain, may I sit in your chair? <laughs> you um, have to. Or, um, you know, secretaries of state or indeed one president Wow. asked, may I sit in the chair? Did you say Yes. Of course. Of, of course. Of course, yes, with great respect. And,
2: and after all this, I'm surprised that someone didn't just say to you, like, have a citizenship. Here you go. You know, it's not that he would want You would have thought, would yeah. you?
1: You know, that, that, that Ronnie, because I was allowed to call him Ronnie, <laughs> would have said, hey, Pat. <laughs>
2: Reagan you know. asked to sit in the chair? Yeah. That's yeah. crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Well, to take us off. Here we fire the phasers. <laughs> is, that, is that a good Reagan impersonation? No. no. Yeah. no. <laughs> well. Not even. Oh, I'm sorry. for this. Well. No, I guess that's not, not that it That is not the president I would have expected to want to sit in the captain's chair. He was lovely. He was. But not- of course, he
1: was an actor. No, but he was, like, he, you know, you see, there you go. You, people have the impression that we're acting all the time. That You don't get the real thing we actually are what? Actually, this is not me are you serious are you stuff. a hologram this is a version of me this is a version you of you just for your show i appreciate that you know i go on another show i'm a different person totally different you know, conan asks me questions i don't behave like this i kiss <laughs> i kiss conan whenever you did. i possibly can i did yeah yeah on the mouth. soft soft kisser I, extended extended <laughs> I, i'm
3: right
0: am i, I yeah, yeah i did yeah conan's got those thin irish lips though you know he's got a he's, he's he good, was though. he was up for it
2: <laughs> I have great respect for I him. Love Conan. You still get uh, booty texts from Conan. <laughs> hey, what's up? What are you, you up? Uh, hey, Patrick Stewart, you up? <laughs> 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 we did. <laughs> we all, I almost kissed Conan. We had a. Uh, we, were, we were there was a. We were eating pasta or something on the show, and so I took the other end of the pasta, lady in the tramp style, but it broke. Oh, right before no. we could ah, get. No. Yeah, meaningful. Very meaningful, yeah. It was, Those I could things see are not the, accidents. I could see the emotion in his eyes. It felt mm. really good. I, I hope we get information about this auction very soon. Did you sneak away with some stuff from... Just
1: you take a uniform? One item I did, yeah. And it was largely done as a protest because... <laughs> and actually, Conan also figures in this little anecdote, too. Um, I Others just took things, including... Uniforms, and I mention no names at all. Sure, Will. Um, um, <laughs> um, uh, uh, no, I thought that that's. sorry. Are you okay? Are you okay? You're joking. Yeah. Um, no, no, no. I don't think those guys did. They wouldn't. But um, so what I did was I uh, went to the production office. And I spoke to our line producer, who's you know the person in charge of the budgeting and so forth. And I said, "Look, um, I would like to buy one of my uniforms. Now I've been over to the wardrobe department, and they have told me what it costs to make each uniform, and that my uniform is no different from the others. I'd like to buy one." They said, "Oh well, um, we'll have to, you know, we'll have to take that higher up. We don't. We'll really talk about that." The answer came back, "No." What? No, you can't. You can't have one. Them. It. <laughs> you know, know, there's a thing. So I didn't take one, but I did on the very last day we worked. I did take my communicator off because it was just stuck on with Velcro, you know. Oh,
2: okay. Oh, sorry. Oh, Is Matt, that... no. Ma- no. 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 no uh, just...
3: Space Velcro. What? Space Velcro. Oh. It's all space uh, Velcro. Uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Starfleet's yeah. Velcro. Yeah. Starfleet Velcro.
1: Yeah. 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 24th century Velcro. Oh, yeah. Thank yeah. You. We have to, we have to well, be very well, careful around that's Matt. Very different. Huh? Matt's <laughs> special. That's very different. Huh? Okay. That's fine. And um, I have it. Still, I know where it is, Um, but it is promised, I'm afraid. I'm sorry to say. It it won't be part. Actually, it might. But I did promise it to the Archbishop of York. <laughs> oh, my
0: um, God. Well, so The
1: strange. Archbishop of York has some cash. He can pony up. And not he's just going right? No, that's not necessary. I don't think uh, ministers of the Church of England are that well paid. I mean, even if you're Archbishop, he's number two in the Anglican hierarchy. Number two seems like yeah. he's probably
0: getting a little bit of pay. But
1: um, I, I went over. I, I took my American wife to York to, York to see the city because it's a great medieval city and a great medieval. Um, uh, minster and um, the chap who was taking us round said uh, you know um, the Archbishop knows that you're in town and he wondered if you'd like to go over to the palace and have tea with him and I said absolutely this is Johnson Umu, who is a wonderful man and we went over well it didn't take long before he was saying and in episode in a light when, <laughs> you know, and I I thought, along with, you know, chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff and presidents and so forth and secretaries of state, there's now an Archbishop of York who is a a Trekkie.
2: That's not bad for a man who started out making up stories uh, on his newspaper.
1: It's ending at the moment happily
0: good that they it's so funny that they wouldn't give you a uniform they were so cheap with those uniforms oh i didn't finish the story the conan part of the story god i hope it was conan
1: otherwise i'll be in deep shit um uh i I was on his show and he said so just as you asked so you must have all kinds of memorabilia you know captain's uniform and the four pips and and a phaser and i said no i have nothing i didn't tell them about the communicator Mm -hmm. uh i have nothing and he said so I told them I'd offered to buy and they wouldn't let me. And he said, that's, that's a disgrace. That's shocking. Eighteen months or so pass and another project is in the wind and I go on the show again. And he said, oh, by the way, uh, uh, we've got something for you. And out comes one of his assistants carrying my uniform, my captain's uniform on a coat hanger, and said – it's yours, and I said, "He said, we called them up and we shamed them into giving you one." So it
2: was just so sitting amazing. in a room. It was just sitting in the room like the end of Raiders of the
0: Lost Star. Well, they and, have well, all the archives.
1: Yeah, they do. Yeah. They have everything, and they are selling stuff off. Yeah. Uh, Paramount had a big sale yeah. a few years ago, of a, which included a lot of Star Trek memorabilia. I am told that the model which was bigger than this room mm-hmm. that does the flybys. Yeah. You know what the I'm ILM talking about? The model, yeah. Yeah. Uh, was actually bought by Bill Gates.
0: Oh, oh that's g- not surprising. I wonder what he paid for it. Oh. Not cool. oh. oh. enough.
2: Like, <laughs> do you think that's north of a million? Is that seven no, I figures? Think it for,
0: I think it went for 600000 something like that. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> it's incredible. I, think, it incredible. I think. You could look it up. But the, and the flute from Inner Light... That sold. The pre auction estimate was like $1,200 to $2,500. Can I tell
1: you a little anecdote about the flute? This is the bad side of me. Um, uh, I got a. Oh, somebody said to me, I have a friend, he bought the flute from inner light at an auction and he spent a huge amount of money on this and it comes in a little presentation box mm. and all of that um, he he i was working on broadway and he was coming to see the play could he come backstage and would you mind signing the box and i said no that's great i might even you know give him a note to do it, cuz it actually played oh no it didn't no the one that i played which i did play was was real that 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 one didn't play so he gives me this thing, and I'm sign- as I'm signing it, uh, I said, you know, by the way, don't you, there are four others of these. <laughs> did, you,
2: did you happen to? <laughs> you should have had someone take a picture the moment you said that, just yeah. to capture his yeah. expression. <laughs> How, long him- How long did you let him go? Oh, no, no. That's amazing. That's so funny.
0: The uh, it's funny. No, no, it's, it, a... it, it's I'm sorry. Oh, I'm go sorry. ahead. Yeah, uh, it's, you know,
1: it's like, you know, I bought the Mona Lisa. Oh, and by the way, there are several others. Oh, no, you well, bought the days. fourth one. There's <laughs> yeah. some other really great ones. Well, by too. the fourth
0: one, he was really good He at really making. got it
1: good, really good. Yeah. yeah. yeah the... He was getting it right by the. <laughs> oh, <man. laughs>
0: uh, but the uniforms yeah. like they when they went to make the movie when they meant to make generations they were supposed to switch over to the deep space 9 uniform they were and they were, were going to switch over to the deep space 9 the red on the top and the black on the bottom uh-huh which is the it's the coat sort of one oh, so what right. they did was they were looking through with the budget of okay it's going to cost us this much so they just got they just measured Brent and Patrick for uniforms that's it so, like, if you watch the movie and you watch Frakes, he's wearing he's wearing Avery Brooks' uniform, and LaVar <laughs> is wearing Kamini's uniform, and Frakes has the sleeves, like, rolled up because his arms are so much longer, <laughs> and, like... Uh, Lavar looks like he's swimming in the uniform because they wouldn't fucking just measure these. other There's seven people in the cast. Measure them. Just make a uniform. <laughs> I never heard that. I love it. I it's love true. people
2: couldn't. I love how hard you were laughing at that story. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah. That is amazing. Yeah. It, it, it's th- that you get to that level and you're making a movie. And they don't just go. Maybe let's just make a handful of new uniforms. It's yeah. part of the. B- we will budget some wardrobe. They're like, uh, Data, Picard, you get uniforms. Everybody else, here's what you can pick from. <laughs> I mean these are not these are not intricate costumes. It's a jumpsuit. No, no, no. It's no. a fucking yeah, jumpsuit that's, that's they're exactly. not paying for. That's ridiculous. <laughs>
0: I wonder if Shatner was able to keep anything from the original series. I am he must have. He's a boss. Oh, the other thing about Shatner that's hilarious is they he made them write the horse scene in with Patrick in uh, Generations and then he turned around and was like, "Okay, now you have to get these horses. You have to rent them from me." <laughs> Oh, is that true? <laughs> yeah. I didn't know it. Yes. <laughs> <I didn't know.
1: laughs> but you, know, you do know what we were wearing on the, in that scene. You must have heard this.
0: No. Oh, this is extraordinary. Well, right. Right.
1: Um, <laughs> Bill, who is a horseman. Oh, very much so. I ride, and there is a huge world of difference between those two statements. And uh, he said to me the day before, oh, Patrick, I just a thought. I'll give you a little, I won't do his, I can't do his voice, I'm sure you could, mm. but, um, he said, uh, we're gonna be, we're gonna be in the saddle for long periods tomorrow. Uh, it's a, quite a long scene and there's and there are gonna be many takes and so forth. Can I make a suggestion? If you wear pantyhose underneath your trousers, you, you won't get blisters and, r- r- you know, raw, rubbed raw mm-hmm. by the stall. So the next time you watch that scene, <laughs> Just half close your eyes about, about uh, the two captains, actually, <laughs> wearing pantyhose underneath the Starfleet <laughs> uniform.
2: I'm so glad to hear that. By the way, um, I watched Green Room the other night, and it's really disturbing in in a great way. It's, mm-hmm. a, gr- it's a really fucked up, intimate, and I, it's just not something I've seen you do before. But you're you're great in it, and it's, the movie's super messed up.
1: Yeah, yeah, it, it, it is. It's, it scares me. I mean, I'm going to see it tonight. And uh, my wife has agreed to come with me, although when it was screened for us in London, 10 o'clock on a Monday morning, not the greatest time to be watching.
2: That's <laughs> <laughs> time, time for a thriller at 10 a.m.
1: Yeah, me and Sonny and my London agents. And who did sit through large bits of it with his head held in his hand like this. And occasionally he groaned, oh. And it, it wasn't that he didn't think the movie was wonderful because he did, but it was just upsetting him. My wife left. She said, I'm sorry, I can't. Oh, wow. She never likes to know what it is I'm working on. She doesn't like to know the stories or she doesn't want to hear necessarily anecdotes about the stories or see photographs and so forth. She likes to go and it's all new. All fresh, yeah. Um she got left the left the screening room and walked around Soho for ten minutes and then came back in and sat down and watched another half an hour and then said, "I'm, I'm really sorry, I I can't I can't take it." I
2: orders. didn't know I didn't know what the movie was about when I watched it, so it was great going into it. But it's the 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 pitch of it is essentially. Do you want to tell people what the pitch is? It is like a band performs at a venue that's secluded and then shit goes sideways.
1: A a a. a punk rock band young young people um, they're on a tour over on the west coast they're dc based and the tour has not gone well they they have no money they're broke they're siphoning petrol out of other people's cars in order to try to get back to dc and then a friend of a friend says hey i think there's a gig you could do and and so they end up in this backwards mountain Music venue, um, and they've already been tipped off. It's sort of kind of skinheady, and you know all of this. Um, and they go, but they're going to be paid three hundred and fifty dollars in cash, and that's it. There's the petrol back, you know. Mm-hmm. And um, so they do the gig. It's the audience is scary. It's all these crazy, you know, shaved-headed guys with swastikas everywhere and skulls and things. And they're about to leave. The van is all packed up and they're ready to go. And then one of them realizes he's forgotten something in the green room. And he goes back and... Nothing will ever be the same again. It's uh, uh,
2: Alicia Shawcat. It's Alia Shawcat. It's Alia Anton
1: Yelchin. Um, uh, uh, oh, Imogen out. Poots. Um, uh, Mekong, M- Mekong Blair, who was, of course, in Jeremy Sornier's other movie, Blue yep. Ruin, and was so brilliant in that.
2: What was, the, uh, what was the significance of the red
1: laces? The red laces... Um, when people oh, see I'm the movie, they'll know today. what it they'll I know do it have means. a shoe with red laces, by the way. I was checking to see if I was wearing them. Um, The red laces denote members of this white supremacist brotherhood, of which my character is the head, the leader, um, that they are – they belong to an inner group.
2: So it's just like a a special – It's a hierarchy. Right, right, right. Yeah.
1: And and so when I say at one point to my team, uh, okay, and I want red laces only. You want the elite. Yeah, I want the – best guys and the best of the, the worst best guys and the worst as well <laughs> yeah and, um, well uh bad things happen and it's it's very i warn you it's distressing what did you think when you first read the script did you was it- i'll tell you what happened i have told this several times so this is not original but um i was at the time in my house in oxfordshire which is a little bit remote it's kind of very very private no other houses around deep in the Bucolic English countryside. And um, this script came in an email, as they do these days. And my policy is if I get a pretty good idea, this is not something I'm going to want to do or read all the way through, I just read it on my screen. I don't, because I, I, you know, I believe yeah. in the environment and I'm saving uh, a paper. If it's something I think is going to be really interesting, I print. So I printed this script and sat down this evening alone in the house to read it in about page 30. Um, I closed the script and put it down, and I went all around my house, checking all the doors were locked, all the windows were locked. I put on the perimeter lights of the whole property mm-hmm. I put on the the stay security um, uh, program yep. in my security system, and I poured a fucking huge glass of scotch. <laughs> and, and I was only 30, 35 pages into a 95-page script. Oh, my God. And then I went back and I finished the script. And the next night, a copy of Blue Ruin arrived, and it had exactly the same impact on me. So a combination of Jeremy's extraordinary writing and his directing, the way that he had directed Macon Blair in, in, in Blue Ruin, uh, it was a no-brainer. So I picked up the phone and called him, and, and there we were. But I, see, that's, that's, I got, five days later, I got on a plane for Portland. It's so, what's so great about it is
2: that you don't have to do stuff like that. I mean, you know, you're in these massive tentpole franchise movies, and you're on a, you're on a series that's in the second season, and you know, just the idea, like, well, I'm going to go do this small, low-budge, intimate, uh, thriller, fucked-up horror movie.
1: It's everything, and so many actors I know would agree with me that it, it's often right there. Where the deepest satisfactions come, where the most interesting experiences are had, when you're not surrounded by a multi, multi million dollar megalith hit. Sure. You know, um, where you sometimes, sometimes do feel, I really am just a little cog in this whole process. <laughs> I feel that. Certainly not working with Brian Singer when we were doing. Um, what was that franchise called? I think it was called X Men. It was called X Men. That's yep. right. There you.
0: Go. <laughs> I knew actually what it was called. I know you. Um, know. It's called Marvel's Fox property. But- <laughs> 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 the one they haven't
2: gotten back yet. <laughs> <laughs> yep, that's true. Well, the future child.
0: So, um, um, what uh, what kind of Scotch does a Patrick Stewart pour for himself?
1: I I um, I mostly drank. Uh, really good quality blended whiskey. Mm-hmm. Um, in a way, single malt is a little bit wasted on me because I don't drink it neat. I usually yeah. drink it with clubs, just club soda and ice, yeah. um, and uh, no lemon like you people.
2: No, like we don't. Like I,
1: I don't lemon in your Scotch.
2: <laughs> I wanted to see how long you would grumble about the lemon <laughs> in the
1: scotch for like
2: these motherfuckers over here they put the lemon in there <laughs> I
1: mean really why would you um, Bill Shatner was right yeah <laughs> whatever he said uh, I um I drink chivas mm. and I had an 18 year old chivas oh, nice. um barely legal that was extraordinary yeah so and besides when you ask for it uh, bartenders in the United States recognize the name. You know, you ask for something like you know, uh, Lagavulin. Crayon La Right. You know, and they'll go, "You what? Hey, what? <laughs> no, it's a uh, shivers on the rocks. It's easy." I mean, what's
2: it? How do you fight the urge, the the basic human urge to be comfortable? You know, like once you succeed and you're surround, you're not as you're not as hungry anymore. So how do you fight the urge to go, oh, I'm comfortable. I don't want to leave my nice house and just kind of say, like, how do, you, how do you keep taking chances and keep pushing yourself and keep taking
1: risks? Because no matter how nice the house is or the environment, I'm always starving. Like creatively. Yeah. So the hunger doesn't go away. And, and, and curiosity. You know, I, I, this is going to be an exciting year for me because I have three pieces of work. That's all. Apart from the ongoing Family Guy and America Dad, sure. which is just a a wonderful little bit of trimming, it's uh, a nice bonus. Seth MacFarlane dressing on my life, <laughs> on my career. Um, I have I have my second season of my series. I have a very big movie uh, beginning in two weeks' time, and and then I have six months on stage with the aforementioned Sir Ian. Oh, that's fantastic! What's yeah. the?
2: Can you take us say what the movie is or no? No, damn it! <laughs> what does it rhyme with? <clears throat> sorry
1: Rhymes with sorry I mean It rhymes with Bulverine uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know What you mean I would uh, No If I were To mention it Or talk about it When I got home In an hour or two There would be somebody On the doorstep Waiting for me Waiting for you Yeah, Probably a process
2: <laughs> That would
0: be you That would be you Waiting yeah. down there yeah.
1: That's yeah. why you just Put the, the perimeter lights on And put the stay security on <laughs> oh, And then, yeah. then you're
2: totally fine no, It's no. totally fine What are you doing
1: With, uh, with Ian we are reviving a production that we did on Broadway two, three years ago. We did a double bill. We did Waiting for Godot right. four nights a week. And we did Harold Pinter's great masterpiece, A Four Night. Why do I keep calling it A Four Night Come? That's nothing to do with Harold Pinter. No Man's Land is the play. And we did it on Broadway very successfully. Um, and uh, we promised ourselves, because it's a very, very, Not just an English play, it's a London play. Mm. And so many references in the script out of London. And if you don't know the references, there's a certain amount of pleasure you'll get out of it that, that you won't have. And it was a little like that on Broadway. Marvelous though the audiences were and they enjoyed the play. But we promised ourselves, damn it. We we must do this in London. So here we are on the threshold. We start rehearsing appropriately on the 4th of July, and we're doing a five-week provincial tour followed by a 14-week season in London. Oh, my gosh. That's
2: incredible. Is that, fi- is that five nights a week or just?
1: Eight performances a week.
2: Eight performances. Six a...
1: nights a week, two matinee days.
2: Oh, my gosh.
1: Yeah. If it, Your life changes. It's very different from now when my... My day begins at about half past five in the morning. Well, half past four in the morning, and then I get picked up at 5.30. And hopefully I'm home in the early evening, you know, just in time to learn some more lines and, uh, and
2: go to bed. Where's your brain week seven of a 14-week run? We're like, okay, we've done this a oh, million times. And
1: it's, then... it's just a little trick. That's all. Um, uh, I'll give you an anecdote to illustrate the trick. I did a a production of what I have always believed is the great American play, is Edward Albee's Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf, which was filmed so spectacularly with Richard Burton and Elizabeth Taylor. And um, when I did it, the the it's a long play. It's four acts and they're huge. The play runs well over three hours, three and a half hours, wow. and there are only four characters in it. So there's a lot of talking, and the play begins with Martha and George, the people who own the property where the action takes place, arriving home after a dinner party, and then the play goes on for the rest of the of the night, and. I asked the stage management, the the, the the carpenter shop, if they would put a practical lock on the door so that in order to begin the play, I had to put an actual key into an actual lock and turn it, open the door, and then Martha would say her first line, Jesus H. Christ, is the first line of the play. And we're underway. So standing behind the door, I did this with the brilliant, wonderful American actress Mercedes Rule. All that Mercedes and I knew as we stood behind that door and the house lights went down and some little music began and then the curtain went up was all we have to do is to open this door and we don't know anything else. Everything else is unknown for the next three and a half hours. Am I making any
2: sense? Yeah, yeah. You're basically saying – no, no. Because you're basically – it sounds like you're basically saying – you learn everything and then you forget it so it can be a fresh experience exactly. each time. And the actual tactile experience of turning a lock is the is the opening of this new thing. Yeah. See, so that's how you keep it new every night.
1: Exactly. It, because it has never happened before. Uh, another little anecdote. W- when I was about 12, I was allowed to go to a theater performance on my own at my local Repertory Theater, professional, and I went to a matinee. And I saw this, and I was enchanted, thrilled, transported out of myself. I didn't like my life growing up very much. But sitting there and watching this other world on the stage, I was enchanted. I came out of the theater, and they did a strange sketch. They did like 5 o'clock, 8 o'clock shows on a Saturday, and I'd seen the 5 o'clock show. There was a queue of people queuing to go in. And I didn't understand what they were going to see, because i just seen it. <laughs> and this is naive. I know, a child. Well, I was a child. I I could not get my head around that what I had just seen could possibly be repeated. Again, yeah. Wow. And so I think of that a lot when, when I'm doing runs. Um, so, you know, my first line in the play I'm doing with Sir Ian in, in later in the year is, as it is, is the first thing I say, because I'm pouring drinks. As it is. And he says, oh, yes, as it is. And then I say, cheers. And then he talks for a long time. Um, (laughs) uh, (laughs) And, you know, it's again the same thing. I've got a glass in my hand, and we get standby, curtain going up, and all I know I have to do is pour a drink and nothing else. Does it sound fucked up, that? No. It it actually, it kind of
2: makes it seem... I can understand why it would be fun every night when you're recreating never this. Never happened
1: over over. before. It's never happened before each time. And so, and Ian believes in the same philosophy very strongly. So it means that, as we were in waiting for Godot, when the two of us never left the stage for the whole two and a half hours, that we can trust the other actor to also be hopefully living in the moment. In Ian's case, not hopefully, he is, and that everything is spontaneous and and happening as if for the first time. And that's how you get an audience. Because audiences know, they can't articulate it. They don't know how to describe it. but Because I've had it in the theater. I'm sure you all have. You're sitting there, and you begin to believe that actually you're looking through a peephole in a, into somebody's life or room, and it's really happening. That's why people sometimes get very upset in the theater because it seems... To be so truthful, and and there are times you watch some plays. I mean, but I remember when I, I saw the great production of um, uh, uh, August Osage County that came down from Chicago to to Broadway and then to London. Um, I actually had to leave at the intermission of a production and a performance I was thrilled by because it was too real and it reflected aspects of my home life and my childhood. That were just making me so unhappy. I couldn't take it. And because this is the way those actors worked, there was everything about them that this has never happened before. You're hearing this for the first time. And somehow you felt, I shouldn't be watching this. This is too private for me to be an observer.
2: It is, it's really, and it's also very fascinating to hear that it sounds like whatever was making you unhappy as a child, then you kind of went into theater to escape all that, and then the, that, that moment was the very thing that was then taking you back to that, mm-hmm. to that point. Yeah,
1: it curious, isn't it?
2: Did you ever, in a grand scheme, did you ever get away from it? Did you ever get away from all the stuff that made you
1: unhappy? Um, no, I made use of it. Um, thanks to, uh, after I came to California... A lot of quite expensive but absolutely blue-ribbon therapy. Oh, good. Oh, seriously. Good. That's, that's what I did. And all this stuff has, for several, several years, gone over and over and over and over. And, um, and um, it gets worked out. And you can face it and you can talk about it. And uh, we hear this a lot, especially now. I, I work a lot with a, 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 an English organization that deals with domestic violence. Um, Because that was part of my life. Mm -hmm. And it makes me very proud to be associated with the the charities called Refuge. And they do brilliant work in the United Kingdom. Um, I, 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 for instance, could not play rage, anger, fury. Not even good at violence. I faked it for years and years and years. Faked it very well. But I was faking it. Because I was afraid to tap into anything that, that might have you know, just sort of turn me upside down again, and and then with a lot of help, and and one wonderful director who said, "It's time you let go of this, and you can, and if you were prepared to." T- I was playing, a, I was playing a wife and child murderer in a Shakespeare play. He said, um, "I know it's, I know what's there, and if you will tap into it, I swear to God, I will never leave your side. I will be here." to hold your hand if you're prepared to go for it which was a wonderful thing for a director to say and and again with with counseling and therapy it all became we we have a phrase we use um certainly in the theater um uh, it, it, it's it's well i say we use maybe it's just one that i use um we have a memory bank and the longer you live that bank account gets bigger and bigger and bigger, richer and richer and richer, and nothing is ever wasted on an actor, nothing, and sometimes I feel uncomfortable about it, no matter what the experience you're involved in, no matter, and actually I heard somebody talk about this in connection with the Paris bombings uh, in November, that while it's happening, you are saying to yourself, do not forget this, remember what it feels like, remember what you saw, remember what you heard. Keep these sounds fresh and vivid in your memory. Don't try to erase them because they're going to be really valuable later on. Um, so we, um, it makes life kind of interesting.
2: Well, it's good. I think it's good for people to hear who... I think it's important for people to hear who are going through it to hear, oh, this is something that... Patrick Stewart went through and he was able to deal with it and he was able to use it. And even he struggled with it for a long time. Mm -hmm. So I think that's really important because I think most people just – I think most people kind of have that thing where they go, well, everyone else has shit figured out except for me. But the ultimate truth is that no one has shit figured out.
1: It's very interesting Um, because of the work I do for – and and things that I've written and and, uh, like now, like here with you talking about this – Someone will come up to me. It happened, uh, I went to hear, Joel Gray has written a, a really lovely autobiography and I went, to, he did a reading from it a, a couple of Sundays ago and afterwards a woman came over to me and said how much she enjoyed my work and Star Trek and so forth and and then I knew exactly where she was going to go because her eyes began to water mm-hmm. and she said, and, and your work with domestic violence and I said it's a problem for you and she nodded her head. And uh, encounters like that are, you know, we're actors, we're shallow people, we're egocentric, you know, we, we are full of ourselves, we don't give a shit about anybody else. <laughs> but when you get moments like that, you know, when someone says, uh, it, it it helps what you've said and done, it's fantastic. So it gives celebrity or notoriety, whatever seems appropriate, Um, uh, another um, color. I think it also, I think the
2: other kind of reward that comes from it is that you I assume you sort of feel like if someone else can benefit from what I went through then it wasn't a waste of you know like it it, that's, wasn't. it, exactly. that
1: someone, it helps exactly. someone else go through it and in my case it, it it had two stages because I knew my mother was suffering and I knew I could not do much to help her. So what I do now, I do from the woman I couldn't help Of course, when I was six, seven, eight. Um, and my father had a pretty bad press all in all about all of this. Naturally, he has. He was the one who was committing the violence. But then two years ago when I did Who Do You Think You Are? To my astonishment and completely unexpected, the subject of the hour-long television program was my father. Oh, so I discovered things about him I didn't know. And one of the things I discovered was that in 1941, he returned on the last boat out of Cherbourg, part of the British expeditionary force that had gone into Europe to fight the Nazis. And then we were pushed out, Dunkirk. And there wasn't people all know Dunkirk, but there were other places, too, where, where you know, allied troops were on the beaches and trying to get back to England. Um and they showed me live on camera a newspaper clipping which said, uh, uh, Sergeant Alfred Stewart has returned home to my field severely shell-shocked. Oh, wow. None of us knew. I swear to God, none of us knew. Not my two older brothers. Not my mother. Nobody had said that. And certainly nobody would have mentioned PTSD. Um, and all they would have said was, come on, act like a man. Pull yourself together. Sure. And then – when this particular part of dad 's military service uh, i mean I, I I stood on spots in northern France where the 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 war historian uh, his regiment historian said. Your father must have stood right on this spot at this moment, and here's what was happening. The train, they were going into Abbeville. The train had been stopped because the Nazis that were supposed to be 50 miles away were already in the town, and they were strafing and bombing the railway lines. And your father's train stopped here because we know there was a bridge there. And your father, being a huge part of the military police then, he, one of his jobs would have been to get everybody out of the train and into the long grass, into the woods, anywhere the riverbanks where they could be safe. And they said, your father would have been in charge of that. And the things he would have seen in those days surrounding that would have been appalling because the Nazis, um, they made a particular – this was intimidation. They, they, would, um, they would strafe with their fighter planes and, and shell um, r- roads filled with refugees trying to get away from the fighting. But they would chase them there and they would gun them down. And my father would have seen all of that. And um, no one should have to see stuff like that. But nobody ever helped him. There was no... He
2: didn't know to ask for help.
1: No, he didn't. And it was embarrassing and shaming to have to admit to it. You didn't because you weren't a man if you'd been so shocked and frightened as he must have been. And when I talked to specialists in this and talked about my experience of him, they say he said archetypal behavior. There's absolutely no question. Your father had severe PTSD. Everything you tell me, the weekend alcoholism, the violence, the the mood swings, and so forth. So um, now I do the refuge work for my mother, and there's an organization called Combat Stress. And um, I do that for my father.
2: That's wonderful. That's really wonderful. And I think it's amazing that you can talk about it and I think it's amazing that you're still doing the work. And even though at the time you didn't have the knowledge and you didn't have – you didn't know about the therapy, you didn't know how to help, already you must have helped thousands and thousands and thousands of people. I mean it's an incredible gift. It's an incredible gift.
1: It's. Um, I, I feel very grateful.
2: I adore you. <laughs> you are such a wonderful man. Oh, thank you. I mean the fact that you – you're okay talking about Star Trek stuff and you're letting us nerd out about every script and everything. You talk about that. You've opened up about your family. I mean, you're you're just – you're such a great human being and I really hope you continue to come back on the podcast as things – come up for you. Anytime. I adore you. Thank and you. And, you know, when, when I was... Uh, we're going to put you on record as saying anytime. <laughs> <Thank
1: you. laughs> okay. No, nope. listen, we have witnesses.
0: <laughs>
2: and Will just says the most wonderful things about you.
1: Really? Yeah. He and I had a, a very unusual and interesting relationship because he was the kid on the show. Yeah. Although, actually, I hated his guts because when the, when Next Generation was announced... The, the the Los Angeles Times admitted there were only two actors anybody had ever heard of in the show, Lavar Burton and Will Wheat. <laughs>
2: <laughs> no one had seen Dune?
1: Um, I guess not. <laughs> uh, though well, I had more to do in Dune in the director's cut than I did. Thank you very much, David Lynch. When
2: you were I, making Dune, were you like, well, this is going to be like bigger than Star Wars. I mean, this is Dune. This is huge.
1: I kind of did, and, and sort of hoped, because... And indeed, there was a hope uh, by the filmmakers that it would be the first step of a franchise, because there were—I think there were four books. You would know, yes. wouldn't you? Yeah. There were four Dune books, um, and we only made the first one. And I'm not sure we made the whole of the first one. No. Um, so, and Gurney Halleck was a recurring character. So. It, uh, but then if I'd done that, maybe I wouldn't have done x you, you can Star never, no, you can no, never no. look back and go, no.
2: oh, whatever. Like, it worked out the way it worked out. Everything's worked out great. What were you saying about Will? Because you're, you're, you I, I was friends with Will in those days. He was a little – we were both moody teenagers. Yeah. You know, We were both yeah. moody teenagers. But but he, yeah. he, he always, he's always spoken very highly of
1: you. Well, it, uh, the feeling is mutual. And uh, we did a couple of shows where we were thrown together for long periods of time. We had, uh, didn't we crash land on a planet? Yep. Season five. And we were in- <laughs> oh. <laughs> he does that all the time. Oh, man.
0: Uh, and we were in a cave, yep. and I was badly hurt, yep. and he was looking after me. Gave you a tourniquet, and a, lot, a lot of fun. Yeah. yeah well, the uniform that they paid so much money for. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and we were somewhere in the desert outside Bakersfield, I think. I can't remember. Sorry if that. You know, just kind no, no, you're on undermined. a planet. You're on an alien planet. <laughs> yeah, we was an alien you. planet called Bakersfield. Baker- <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
3: uh,
2: Green Room rolls out April 15th, and I absolutely encourage people to see it, not just because it's super fucked up and it's a really great thriller horror movie, but it's just it, you, you in this role is different than anything I've ever seen you in
0: before. It's, it's really great.
1: Thank you very much.
0: And it's thank you for being here. Hang and on, nerds. I know it was season four, end of season four. God. <laughs> I don't want them to tweet at me. Yeah.
1: Your life.
2: They're will going to anyway game. because they they are. they, they, they yeah, stopped the podcast at that point at and tell you to fuck yourself. And then they're going to come back in and go, "Oh, I listened to the rest. I'm sorry. You <laughs> did put oh, in the boy, correction." Oh boy. still fuck you for messing it up the first I time. It. I get it. I will speak up for you in thank front of pa- you, in front of Patrick Stewart. Uh, Matt actually invented a, a, an escape code for the Enterprise called Alpha Three If you're ever in a conversation where someone has cornered you about the specifics of a particular Star Trek episode, you just go Alpha Three hit your communicator, and they immediately beam
0: you out of Back any to situation. Your wow! Yeah, yeah. Anytime you know, if you walk oh. in on an awkward situation, you know, yeah. like Frakes is getting handsy with a lieutenant, then you uh-huh. just Alpha Three yeah. Nine, get yourself <laughs> out of there. Yeah. Then you're out. Of, you're out of here.
1: I love that. Well, I don't need to use that here. No, I thank don't want you. To get out of here, but. Oh, I'm afraid. You must go. There are the other things that are very busy. Uh,
2: thank you so much. Enjoy your burrito, everyone. And uh, I, as I said, I adore you. Sir. And Red by your the story. way,
1: thank you very much. I should also add, the movie opens in New York and Los Angeles this Friday. It opens nationwide one week later. So okay. that will be, what, the 19th or the 20th? The 22nd, or something like that. probably. I don't want people thinking, where is it? 29. It's not coming to my <laughs> cinema. 29th nationwide. I'm sorry, Americans don't really speak like that. We do speak like that. Oh, no, you don't. That's okay. I,
2: I think the whole time I've been like, hello, I'm a British person. You must be like, okay, fuck this guy. So you please, I, I appreciate your any impersonation of an American accent. Okay.
1: Well, next time I'll come back with a lot of them.
2: Please. Great. Hey, wait. maybe you should, maybe we end the podcast saying enjoy your burrito. Maybe you should say that in your favorite American accent.
1: Enjoy your burrito? Yes. Yeah, yeah buddy. Yeah. <laughs> Yes, yes,
0: enjoy your burrito. Yeah, buddy. <laughs> oh, well, the old prospector just came in. some gold. Now leaving Nerdist.com. Enjoy your burrito.
3: When you're committed to raising the standard, you're bound to ruffle some feathers. At Happy Egg, we like to say we farm differently. But in reality, we produce eggs the way people used to, by partnering with local small family farmers who raise our happy hens on eight or more acres. Because in our opinion, farming shouldn't be complicated. It should be happy. Choose happy with Happy Egg. Visit happyegg.com and look for the yellow carton at a store near you. Happy Egg.